Hi guys and welcome to another week of Third Culture Africans. We took a little Easter break and it was nice to be able to just take some time to recharge. I hope you've enjoyed catching up on episodes that you've missed because we've had some really great ones this season. We're kicking off, I guess, from our mini break with an incredible guest who is one of the most memorable faces as a black male supermodel, Armando Cabral, who is an incredibly talented entrepreneur, artist, philanthropist. He is tenacious and believes in himself, which has got him this far. I hope you find his quintessential gentleman nature as alluring as I did sitting with Armando and really picking the brains of someone who's seen success beyond measure on a global scale and having the humility to continue to serve and walk in his purpose. Welcome to another episode of Third Culture Africans. I am your host, Zezo Kisao. I created the show as a resource for our community of Africans and African diaspora. A safe and honest place to share, inspire, motivate, and most importantly, celebrate those in our communities doing purposeful work and shifting the needle on our culture. Your support is invaluable to the show, so please subscribe or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and leave us a review on your favorite streaming platform. You are valid, you are strong, and you are just getting started. Hi, Amanda. Thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of Third Culture Africans. Hello. Thank you. My pleasure to be here. So you are an entrepreneur, a model, not just any model, but an iconic model, a designer. And I'll go back to the model because you are one of the world's male supermodels, <laughs> which is insane. That was the title given to me, which I don't know where it comes from, but I hear it. I'm giving it to you too, because <laughs> it is true. Voted UN's 100, well, one of 100's most influential people, uh, GQ Man of the Year, and you're one of 20 most influential male models on earth. Did I make you blush? Well, it's sort of, you know, it's, uh, I have to say, it's, it's obviously, it's really nice when you hear all of these nice things and the list and rankings that you're part of. But, you know, the truth is you, you never really, at least for me, I never really worked for that. But, you know, it's in a way, it's a good recognition of all the uh, uh, years of work. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's nice to hear, but it's nothing that I really lose sleep over. <laughs> we'll come to that because I, I think... I guess the perception, especially, I guess, when you were modeling and, and the time of that and then being as big as you were in the modeling world, right? You, you know, having one, having one of the most iconic faces of a generation and, and still do actually for, for most people, you know, if someone, you know, typed in Google now while they're listening to the pod, they would see your face and go, oh my God, you know, <laughs> and, and being a household face walked for Everyone from Bauman to Calvin Klein, Louis Vuitton, Dior had an incredible campaign with J. Crew. So I think for our US listeners, um, that would 
probably ring a bell. It's probably one of my longest standing client. I worked with Jaycoo for 13 years. Incredible. Now, even the fact that your career has spanned as long as it has is also something. And I want to talk about that later on in the episode. But I guess starting off, you're from Guinea-Bissau, grew up in Portugal. You've lived in the UK and now you're in New York. So if there was ever a third culture element to you, you're all of it more than once. (laughs) Well, right. This is usually how I like to describe myself. I always say I'm a citizen of the world, obviously, because, yes, I was born in Guinea-Bissau, you know, grew up in Portugal, educated in London, and now I reside in New York for the past 16 years or so. So, you know, for me, it's, you know, that's the beauty, actually, the opportunity of being, you know, part of all these places and cultures. So, you know, I like to definitely earn that title of calling myself the citizen of the world. (laughs) I think it's well earned. But what are the chances, right? A young kid from Guinea-Bissau with seven siblings, right? You come from a big family, making it one out of the small country that Guinea-Bissau is in Africa and living and having the career that you've had? That's a, that's a very good question. You know, I think about that once in a while, and I'm going to say this to you and for your listeners, you know, before I even get deeper on that, first of all, I want to thank you for the opportunity of talking to you about, you know, this amazing platform that you have and connecting with your, you know, listeners and people and sharing stories, because I think more than ever, it's, it's always good when we, our stories, you know, become somebody else's story. It's like, wow, that kind of have sort of the same path as I had. And, uh, you know, then people get inspiration from that. So this is a great opportunity. Thank Thank you. you. And thank you. Goodness me. Thank you for coming on. Absolutely. But responding to your question, you know, it's it's something I always think about, of course. And I'm sure we're going to discuss this a little further, tell you more about what I do in terms of like helping out back home. The way I view it is this. I think when you, particularly as an African man, we all the same. I might, there's no difference between me and any kid that is in Accra or Guinea-Bissau right now, other than the opportunity that I had that they don't have. And I always say this, believe it or not, most of my friends knows this here about me here uh, in New York, that I always say that, you know, I would hate to waste my opportunity being in a place where I can create and do something to my, for myself and for others when I know that there's someone back home that could be here and probably have less than I have and make so much out of it. To that point, it really is something that I always think about that it's just a matter of opportunity. And then, you know, as an African, you know, we it's important for us to always give our best. It's never come easy for us, you know. You know, but when you're in places where you know you can you can show yourself, I've always took myself in that regard where I, I usually think about people that would have done better if I was wasting my opportunity here. And so when you talk about this kid that, you know, was born in Guinea-Bissau, raised in Portugal, and then studied in London, now living in New York, you know, it, it, that's just, it's just my story. But, you know, I'm sure other people can use the same opportunity and, done and you know, create better things than me. And so it's just a matter of chances, and uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity. And I hope that uh, my reference and my experiences will inspire others also to to follow the path and do better. So modest. But (laughs) you, you touched on something there, which if you can speak on it, because being not just a black male model, but being a black African male model 
at the level that you were at is something. We all know that female models get into the business much younger than the average male model. And you've been able to sustain a career over decades. Do you mind sort of, I guess, the experience of being thrust into that and owning your identity because you, you've always owned your heritage. You've never sort of tried to blend in, as it were. Yeah, well, that was the key, by the way, you know, to, to talk about that. If I look back in my career and to this day, and as often I'm, you know, uh, fronted with the idea of like, but why are you still modeling today after over, you know, 19 to 20 years, which normally for male models, careers are not that long, you know. But it really is, go, it goes back to what you just said. I never, I've always was true to my identity. And I'll tell you why, because, you know, I remember starting in, in, in London. And by the way, my career in modeling wasn't so easy. It was nothing that I came in and they said, okay, sure, let's start and boom. It, it was a lot of persistency and hard work. You know, I started modeling literally a week in London, in Portugal, and then I moved to London to study. And I was always, always approached on the street, people suggesting or asking if I was a model, if I should be a model. And so I tried. I went to a bunch of agencies at the time, and they all said no. I remember vividly at the time, it was ICM and Select and don't even remember names of it now, but they all said no. There was something always in me, the curiosity of saying, but everyone always approached me thinking that, you know, I am a model, I could be a great model. What's going on? So what I decided to do was I picked one agency that I knew that I had a chance with them because they were between the cross of high fashion and commercial. And I said, I'm going to try with these guys again. So after the first rejection, I waited for three months. Then I went back again. And then they said no again, by the way, <laughs> for the second time. But what, what were you doing in the time? Practicing walking? So I, I don't want to talk about the education bit yet, but I think in, in the time of the no's, and not to put the spoiler in there, but you know, eventually you were signed to one of the best agencies in the world. Um, and I'll let you get there. But in the time where you got the nose, because I, I, I think, and perhaps, you, you know, how you also perhaps have more callous for entrepreneurship than, you know, the, even I do or the average person, because you've had nose for a lot of your career. Yeah, but again, like what you said, it, it really, you know, at the time I did not know how to define it. I didn't know what it was, but I, you know, obviously today when you look back, you sort of realize that this is part of your character. It's part of who I am. I know to this day that, you know, I, I usually never take no for an answer. It's just part of who I am. And I learned that later on in my career because uh, afterwards I was, I was like, oh, I guess this is the reason because if I didn't persist, I probably wouldn't be here today. It's one of those things that you know within. I think that's what it is. I'm always being intuitive with myself. So I knew modeling is something that I could do very well. And as we know, sometimes in life, you could have to knock on the door several times before it really opens or you bust it open. That's part of my character. And I think that's, that really is something that I discovered throughout this process. And also the ability of knowing that, uh, you know, if you trust yourself and you really, you know, know what you can give, you're going to try until somebody actually gives you the opportunity. And that really was what happened to, in my case. And to finish up that story, the third time I went... I was said no to again, but this time I asked why, and I was told the reason. It had nothing to do with me, but the book I was presenting to them, 
which was my earliest book, probably my first book done in Portugal, was very weak for them. That was the feedback. So I said, okay, great. If that's the case, then I'm going to take this and work on it. But naturally, the way to work on your, on your, on your book, you have to be signed. But I wasn't. But then, you know, I looked and I said, okay, there is an opportunity here. It's either you take it or you basically let it go. What I did was I went back to the agency's website. I looked over bunch of profiles of guys they were representing at the time. And I picked a couple of guys that, you know, sort of had a similar profile as me and printed picture, each of them, one of the pictures that I like. And I started, uh, <laughs> it is funny because, uh, you know, when I remember this, it, it feels like it was yesterday. So I, I looked for a, a part-time, part-time job in uh, Azara in London at the time. And I said, okay, you know, I'm going to try to, earn some money and pay the photographer and I'm going to do a new photo shoot, which I couldn't do at the time. Obviously, I think that happens when you sign, but because it was left to me to decide, because I was told, come back when your book is better or different. And I said, okay, how do you do that if you're not signed? And so I had to go find a job and then work and I get paid every week and I save money and I was buying the outfits. And then, yeah, I basically set up the whole photo shoot and I came. I still remember this vividly because I actually recently connected with the photographer through LinkedIn. His name is Steven Emerson. You know, I showed up, young boy, with my clothes, everything, with the styling, everything printed. I said, I want these pictures. And he looked at me and said, really? I said, yes. I said, I want these pictures. We did the shoot as we were wrapping up and I was about to leave. And he, he said to me, he said, wow. Over 20 years I've been shooting. I've never seen a new face that came into my place and knew exactly what they wanted to do. And he said, I am certain that when I give you these pictures, you will not have a problem finding an agency. And I was like, okay. And so, you know, a few weeks later, you know, he called me. I went to pick up the book. Pictures came out really good. And so the very next day, I went back to the same agency. And that's how I got signed. So it wasn't nothing that came easy, but I guess when you look at it, it's it really all something that really showed me and kind of helped me kind of get to know myself a little better. So your signing with Wilhelmina Models came after? It came way after, in fact. At the time, one of the top agencies in London was ICM. ICM, Select, and I don't remember the others, but ICM at the time was representing Tyson Beckford, Naomi, and Christmas and everybody. And those were the first agencies I went to that said no. Funny story is that right after I got signed with that agency, my first job was Oswald Botan campaign. And then my second job came, which was very, it, it, it was incredible. And then literally a week later, ICM was asking me to sign with them. And I said, well, you guys said no before, but, uh, and they're like, no, we really want you now and stuff. And, and so that's how everything really changed. It started off for me, to be honest with you. You know, is there something in it? And I guess there's something about your story that says, you know, believe in yourself and invest in yourself. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Because sometimes people can't see it, even though you feel it within yourself that, hold on a minute. I, I can do this. That's the point for all of us. And I think for the listeners, you know, it, it's we all have some sort of a, everything that we look for starts within. And I'm speaking to you in these terms today because, you know, I'm aware and conscious about it, but I did not know what it was. But I, I've always knew that, you know, I can do this job. I guess I just have to prove myself a little longer 
to these people in order for them to see that actual can do it. And so I think, yes, the, 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 the name of the game, it really is, you know, knowing yourself and believing in yourself. Was the feel for you, hey, I can do this job and make some money while I study. I can do this job because surely this can't be too hard. Or I can do this job because I, I feel myself in this job. <laughs> it's the combination of probably I can do this job and make some money. But at the time, truly, I wasn't thinking about modeling to make money. It was never my motivation. I loved it. I've always wanted to, I, I thought it was something that I could do and I could do very well. And, you know, and so I wanted to be a part of it. And, but I really didn't think about it. Initially, I wasn't, you know, obviously, even in modeling back in the days for me when I was in London, it wasn't about making money. And I wasn't making money at that time. I only started making money when I came to America. Interesting. So hold on, you were doing all of those campaigns, Oswald, you were pretty much the black guy in almost every campaign at the time. Right, but it wasn't it wasn't as lucrative at the time compared to what it is today. That's what I'm trying to say. Of course I was making some money which allowed me to, you know, pay my bills and you know work, run around and be out. But it wasn't life changing. It wasn't life changing compared obviously I think budgets in, in terms of our industry, America pretty much, you know, uh, dominates in that regard. So yeah, but it was never focused on money. It wasn't like, yeah, okay, I'm going to get this money. When it happened, for example, one of my probably most lucrative jobs in London at the time was Alexander McQueen campaign uh, with Puma. Again, it was nothing that I really look into. I love how you're having people remind themselves of, <laughs> like, maybe for you, but every time you say a name, I see your face in the campaign. <laughs> like Puma, you, like literally your face was burned into my brain. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's been a great uh, journey, I have to say. It's been a great journey. This podcast is sponsored by Malay Natural Science. Malay's products are inspired by the rich landscapes, alluring scents, and ancient wisdom of Africa. Their luxurious fragrance and body care range balances 100% natural active ingredients and scientifically proven formulas to heal, protect, and pamper your skin. Malay ships worldwide, and you can buy their products at maleeonline.com. They also offer a free sample if you'd like to try. Going into the education piece, and I guess that's probably the African in you, which Absolutely. is you, you have Coming to get from that. from parents, parents, African parents, education is the key. And I have to tell you, part of the reason why I went to London was that I believe my father was trying to get me away from Ireland because he saw me, how excited I was. I had a sister in Portugal at the time that unfortunately passed away that got me into modeling. And um, for her, it was okay. But then as I got so enthusiastic about it, I think my dad, I remember always saying, ah, oh, come on, you better find a job or focus on your education because that's the, that's the most important thing. So I think, you know, he was trying to take me away from Portugal in distractions and send me to London, only to his surprise that that was actually the place where everything, you know, took shape and took form. But yeah, coming from my dad values education. You know, for us, it was always like, you can do whatever you want as long as you make sure that, you know, you get your education. Get, get your grades, get your degree, do whatever you want after that. Absolutely. Do whatever Absolutely. you want alongside that, but make sure you have that safety net. <laughs> Absolutely. For him, you know, obviously coming from uh, his background and, you know, they never view modeling as a career. It was nothing 
you know, at that time, it's like, no, this is fun thing that kids do. And then, you know, sure, they get over it and that's it. But I also think then the modeling was not even a career when you started either. Like, in, especially no. in the African or in the black community, you knew of Naomi Campbell or Iman and, and those guys. But in the, like from a male perspective. No, exactly. It, it just wasn't, it didn't seem real, really. It didn't seem real. Perhaps in America, it was, in America it was already advanced because at the time you already had the Tyson backports of the world and, you know, they made career out of that. But like I said, that's the difference between America and Europe. You know, America takes everything and turn it into a business and turn it into a career and turn it into something big. And yeah, perhaps for those guys at the time, for sure, it was a big, you know, that was part of the... the who they are but for me it was just like okay i love this it gives me opportunity to travel the world and i you know meet all these amazing people and uh, i'm going to enjoy it and then in, in exchange you get you know a couple bucks to, to take care of your bills and stuff so that's how it was really and you were part of i guess the industry where you know i guess you earned your stripes alongside people like edward Enningful who is, is now, you know, iconic in his own right. Absolutely. But that was such a unique time for young Black African men paving the way into the fashion world. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. And I think that time, for me, I always say that if it wasn't this period of my career in London, I don't know if I would ever be you know, where I am today, what I, you know, if I would have accomplished that. It was very interesting, obviously. I think London, what provided for me at the time as a young model, was, you know, was a lot of creative people within the, the fashion industry in there. And so me coming with my background, African, European, and, you know, with this. And by the way, to touch up on what you were saying earlier, in terms of like, you know, being my true self, when I started at the time, most of the models, at least in London, they were like muscular, Afro, and all that stuff. It was the Gap Look. A family friend of mine was was in the Gap Look community. So. Oh, exactly. So for, it, I came with a completely different look. Very elegant, slim, dark skin, and you know, no Afro. And so I guess it really fitted what other people didn't see in a way. And for me, I must tell you, you know, there were times I'm like, oh, should I really get really, you know, muscular as well and grow my hair? So I was, but, you know, I always said, I am going to be exactly who I am and that's the only way I'm going to portray myself. And so all of those things really played part. And then, of course, at that time, one of my first people I worked with was actually Simon Foxton, which I think also was responsible for the career of uh Edward and uh, Steve McQueen. And I think that was it. It was those, those those moments and those guys, you know, somehow really kind of like also contributed and paved the way for me as I am doing for the younger. And I think seldomly are people like Simon spoken about outside of the fashion world. And even people like you, I think one of my goals with starting the podcast was really for our community to have our stories told with our context. You know, you've been featured everywhere, right? You've been in every magazine almost known to man, whether directly or in a campaign. And I feel like they're just nuances within the journey that don't lend themselves to the mainstream. Even though you did that so beautifully throughout your career, I almost liken what you did showing the world that 
African men were gentlemen. And that came across even in your likeness. And it's interesting that being your true self, because I think the perception a lot of people assume is that models are like actors. <laughs> it's very true. But Zizi, what's so interesting and what I like about your questions and this conversation, it really is you're touching up on the points that are extremely important to me, especially in these times. It's as an African, I think we all know that uh, our parents value the way you present yourself. Education starts from home. And for me, all of these things that you're saying, it really was just a representation of who I, who I am and, you know, and what I was, you know, that was my, my upbringing. Always respect others, always be polite to others, always consider. And my dad had this saying that I love and I understand it way better now than I used to before, where he always says, don't let any initials or titles or your job or career you know, define who you are, because when those things goes away, who are you? And so, you know, of course, he used to say that. And my dad really has a huge influence in the person I am in many ways, because he was someone that, you know, my father was educated in France, you know, during colonial time, and he went back and worked as a civil servant during the colonial time in Guinea-Bissau. And for him, education and the way you carry yourself and being just authentic to yourself, which has nothing to do with your career, has nothing to do with your financial freedom. You know, it was always important for him to pass that on. on. And that's so relevant today. Absolutely. I think it's it's even more relevant today. And it's interesting that actually in, in this season, I feel like that is like an underlying message from a lot of the guests. And perhaps subconsciously or unconsciously, I'm hoping that that message just continues to amplify because I'm finding that within our community, especially, we are entering into this interesting space where people are seeing themselves defined by their success. Right. (laughs) And by their monetary value, by fame, and very little around who they are in terms of... Inner work, which is very important. It starts from within. I think once you know yourself from within, you you never set your values based on the outside factors. That could be anybody's situation, you know. And so, I, you know, and, and this all amplified because of the social media these days. And this is funny because myself and a couple other earlier models, we joke about this, that what would happen if... At the time that I started, Instagram existed. I probably would have been the most followed person you in the world. You would have. Because, you would have. Your <laughs> you know, face was everywhere. <laughs> you were the only black guy in every campaign on every catwalk. <laughs> right. So, it, you know, all of those things. And for, for me, even to this day, somehow I used to struggle with that because it's like, how do you navigate being yourself and portray this image of like, yes, this is my world and this. And I'll tell you a funny story. This is way back in 2000, I believe 2015. So we, really, we, we had a new uh, team to help us out with the marketing direction and focus on an Instagram and all of that stuff. And so one of the things they came with was, you are the face of the brand, fine, but I, it looks like people really know you, Armando, as the model and now the, you know, the, the shoe uh, designer. You know, so it's important to take people around with you wherever you go. So when you go, and I think that was the early time where there's stories and all this stuff, like goes, when you go to these places, your photo shoots and hotels, please make a video, show them. I was like, okay, so 
The first thing I don't like about this whole plan is that I am a very private person, you know, uh, outside everything. And so inviting people in that way to me was very invasive. It feels that way. Exactly. It, it literally so, feels like someone's pulling teeth out when, when you're having to, to cross that line. Yeah. Pretty much. And then it becomes that constant thing of like, I'm worried you're in a place where you can't even enjoy the environment. You have to worry about what you have to create so you can share the world. And so coming from that, you know, a traditional background of just doing what you do because you love it. It was very hard adjustment for, for me to do. Of course, it, it's just different generations, but I think more than ever, now it's really important for us to kind of like look within. And we actually had the pandemic to help us basically really understand and figure out the priorities in our lives. I don't want to stay too long on the modeling bit because I really want to go into the entrepreneur side of you. But I wanted to talk about you living through the transition into street style and that wave of African men being introduced to fashion and the world, really. And working through that in your capacity, you know, and you're now style counsel, you're now respected and, and taking African style and saying, hold on a minute here, I can create something that is tangible, right? That is more than my likeness. What was the inspiration for you to, to do that? Obviously, you have a business degree, but... Yeah, I think, like I said, again, I'm going to go back into the idea of all this trying to look within. As I said earlier, modeling, you know, was... There was no agenda of saying, I'm going there, I'm going to be rich, and I'm going to do this. It was giving myself to something that I know I could do very well. And so, but I also knew that, you know, beyond that, there is other capabilities that I have. But I was always interested in how do I contribute to my society? And of course, there's this stigma about models and, you know, modeling business. And I never wanted to fit into the idea of just like, yeah, I live to, you know, basically give my face so then I can help others, you know, feel confident or buy clothes or whatever that is. And so I always wanted to do something else. And, you know, with the business background, what it did, it just helped me you know, in a way to say, how can I contribute to my society in a, in, in a different way, you know, other than just being comfortable in jumping on a plane, going to take pictures in all these exotic places. And, and I wanted to do more. And thank God that, uh, you know, my business background and all the, uh, you know, references I had from my parents and, you know, my upbringing, I, I just wanted to contribute a little more. I just wanted to, you know, want to be a part of like, for example, when I started a business actually here in New York, uh, my accountant, who was actually a very close friend of mine, he posed me a very, very interesting question that I struggled to answer to him a couple of days. Uh, he said, why are you doing this? Why you want to start a business? And I was like, well, you know, I love shoes. He's like, no, 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 no. You do not have to answer me today, but I give you this so you can think about the greater reason behind this, not about making money. I know the business is you set up a business service so you can trade whatever it is to get something out of it. But that's not what it is. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about deeper perspective here. And so I waited a couple of days. I thought about it and I came back with an answer. I said, you know what? I want to contribute to my society. And that's the only way I can feel successful by creating something where I would allow others to be great and together we can you know build something and I would be so happy where I can see people paying their rent sending their kids to school through a small idea that came through my mind 
And so that's how I wanted to cook Druid. And then he said, then that's your reason right there. And, you know, so it was always like that. It was, you know, my, my, my whole thinking always came about how do you contribute and how do, because for me, it's the same thing. Other people created their businesses that gave me the opportunity to get to where I am. So I wanted to replicate that in a way. So my references came from that and my inspirations of really wanting to do that. And obviously there's other personal deeper meanings that uh, also involve pushing to, to really get this going. But I think there's something in it that also speaks to, I guess, the different facets of you, right? Like you're not just one-sided. You're not just, for the lack of a better word or term, a pretty face, <laughs> intelligent <laughs> And you studied to be in business. When I was in London studying, my goal was to be a banker. You know, I wanted to, because my, my school was in, in central London by uh, Moorgate. I don't know if you were, you know, Moorgate, Liverpool, London Met, exactly. So I used to always see these guys dressed up and suit and going up and down. And I'm like, this is what I want to be, I guess. I want to do this. I want to, so... Starting up my own business and becoming, you know, even being shoes and within fashion industry, was it wasn't pre-planned. It, it all came together after I looked around and I said, okay, look, you know, I've been in industry for many years. I know everybody and, you know, I have a business background, which can help me really structure a business. And so there was a great recipe to, to do something. And I think that did help me a lot as well, because as you said, in fashion, everybody think, oh, yeah, they're just models, you know, and nobody really. And so a lot of people were surprised knowing that I have a business degree that, you know, uh, and, and, you know, and I think that really, in a way, surprised people, but also in a way helped people giving me some sort of a, a different way of looking at me. And, and I'm sure I'm not the only one. I'm sure there's other models that are, you know, highly educated in terms of uh, academically, but there's a perception that I think, unfortunately, this is what we don't do very well as a society. We always quick to judge, we always quick to point fingers and quick to kind of define people based on what we see. And unfortunately, with the social media these days, it's even worse because all of that amplified that and people just trying to sell what nothing that's nothing to do with them in real life sometimes. And so it's, it's confusing, but I feel privilege that in a way for those that know me very well can get to know that I have a different facets of, of you know within me I'm not just one dimension guy that you know sell clothes because I'm a model and uh, I think we all do have that it's just a matter of tapping into it and, and figure it out really yeah I guess most people will say but no brainer surely you would be successful having worked with the best in the world you know what challenges could you possibly have had you know, in business. <laughs> there were plenty. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, people would ask that. And, and, and I guess my, my question would be, what has been the hardest? The hardest, I it's think... He it's, it's heavy and loaded. It, it is heavy. It <laughs> is heavy because for hmm. many, in many layers, one, you started with this perception and view of what Africa is. That's one. And then you have to overcome that, that, you know, not everyone that's African, you know. And in fact, actually, I think this is more in Europe. We understand that Africans, we really love our education, you know, because I remember London met 
you know, it was just like a melting pot of people from all across the world, but particularly Africa, and everybody was just so focused on it. Afro-Caribbean societies? Exactly. Like, Black people in general, we really care about that. But that's where the struggle comes, right? I think we always have to do 10 times more than we should do in order to prove ourselves. Well, even just to be heard, to be seen. Just, just to be heard, just like that. You know, uh, great examples, you know, touching into the modeling career, for example, where, you know, they're looking at you, they think, oh, yeah, you know, let's try him, but we're not sure. One of the hardest things for me within the fashion, at least in modeling, in early days, was actually me signing with an agency in, in Paris. It was very difficult, even though in London, I had all the jobs, I was in every single magazine, I was doing all of this stuff, and then I went to to, to, to Italy, and I did Calvin Klein exclusive, Benetton campaigns. Paris was still struggling signing me because I was a black guy. They thought it's very difficult, and that was the answer every time. It's very difficult for to find a you know to get a job for black models. But the funniest thing was soon soon after I got signed, it felt as if no one ever cared if there was a you know, that, that, that it's difficult to find a job for a black man. Everyone wanted to work with me. And that's when he all started with this. Okay, we found one. So let's just have him and let's just use him. And then, so then we say that, oh, we represent everybody because there is Armando. There's one guy, yeah. There's one guy. And so difficulties were plenty. But I also, again, I think we all have experiences to tell about you know, how difficult things are for us. But I never really took those things personal because as I said to you, I always like, if you know who you are, if you know what you have to offer, it's only a matter of time till people will decide, okay, do we ignore this guy or how good he is or how great he is? Or do we take him and actually benefit for the sake of all? <laughs> I don't know where to begin, but you know, there were so many, there were so many uh, difficulties starting. And then also transiting into you know, entrepreneurship, there was also that difficulty of people taking me serious, thinking, well, he's a model. When did a model know how to start a business or even to do something? And, you know, and I always had to, you know, uh, kind of like explain myself over and over. And the same people, it took several meetings, several trials, several attempts until things happen afterwards. So, you know, it's... But you showed them... You showed them Mr. Porter style council, far-fetched <laughs> Nordstrom, Bloomingdale's. You know, you showed them. <laughs> That's the goal. That's the goal is to you to really, is for you to understand yourself and know that, you know, I know what I have to offer and never, you know, uh, devalue yourself, never bring your level down for anybody. And, you know, uh, eventually people will come to their own senses and, you know, I've had many difficulties starting off in, uh, in the beginning with uh, modeling and, and, and with the uh, business. I feel like I have so much to ask, but I, I, I'm going to streamline some of it because I, I think I love where we're going at the moment. There's a part of you that's open about being a father and juggling family life alongside everything else. You have two beautiful children, married also a model. And you guys, as a family, have done campaigns. What would you say has been the challenging part about balancing family life, entrepreneurship, being a recognizable face, 
all, all of the things that come with it. Oof. I think this takes us back to your, prior, your previous question just now. What was the, the challenges? I think perhaps if I look at my life, when you have all this aspect of it, that was one of the most difficult of all, juggling everything. We had a first child when I was 31. You know, for me, or at least in America, it's, it's, it's considered very young. Yeah, you know. old. I was going to say young. Probably Europe would be old, but here it's uh, it's, it's it's still young, you know. And that was still part of the peak of. I was still in the you know midst of everything with my career still going up, traveling every two days, and then I have a business, then you have a relationship, then you have a, a child to take care of, and so it was very challenging. I have to say, you know, of course the rewards of being a father, you know, is nothing compares to all this difficult times that I can tell you. If I had to do it all over again, I would do it again just uh, just because of the uh, privilege of, you know, being a father is to me. But it, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy because, um, you know, there's so many aspects. And I'll give you a great example. I would travel, for example, when I shoot in New York. Let's say I'm not traveling. I'm shooting in New York. I go to work. I shoot all day. I came back home. There's plenty of emails. Every time in between, it, you know, yeah, because you're running a business alongside. I'm running this now. a business, I'm checking my emails. People asking me, "What is this?" or "Can I confirm that?" Can you confirm? Even though I have people helping out and working, you know, they still need my opinion on things. So I was always on the phone, constantly checking. The biggest confirming. myth for anyone who's not yet in the throes of entrepreneurship is that somehow you get to work less. Oh, <laughs> never, never. To this day, it's it's you know, even though you have team around you. They still, you have to follow up with you. We're still a very relatively small team, to be honest with you. But that was happening. And then I would come home. Then, obviously, it's family time. You know, you, you have to spend time with the family and all that stuff. Everybody goes to bed. I feel like my third shift starts. And that's when I, like, this is midnight, 1 a.m., 2 a.m. That's when I go back trying to catch up with all the early emails that I didn't get to because that was my time between after work and then time with family. And so it was, it was very difficult. And I just, after, during this pandemic, I realized that I was sleep deprived for over 10 years, you know, because at the time I never slept that much. I would be up up until 2, 3 a.m. only to wake up 6 a.m. the next day because Italy, where we produce stuff, it's already up. Emails are coming in. You have to check production, prototypes, and all of that stuff. Then comes the fashion weeks. You know, I go for fashion week and I also go for our showrooms. And you leave there, you have to go to London. You leave London, you come back to New York. And then all of this thing, it was, it, it's very difficult. It, it was uh, probably one of the most difficult thing I experienced. And how I did it, I don't know. I, I can't really tell you, but I'm grateful that I had family and the support around to really help out because it was very tough. You speak a lot and are passionate about, you know, sustainability, giving back, etc. But also about the role mentorship or mentors have had in your success. As you start to gain traction in your work, especially as entrepreneurs, you start to find people seeking that in you. How have you navigated that the, all these years in your several careers? Well, I just referenced what happened to my experience. I've had, I, I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for people that I seek knowledge from, that helped me, that advised me, that basically mentored me. And so it was a way for me to say, 
you know, we all get somewhere with help. You know, no one can ever do or accomplish anything by themselves. And so, you know, I approach it the same way. I've been very privileged in my, throughout my career as a model and as an entrepreneur to have many great people around that I talk to. One of the greatest examples is uh, Mickey Drexler, the former CEO of J. Crew, which, you know, I'm so grateful for him in many aspects of my life. You know, he's someone that very busy, I'm sure you guys can imagine, that would always pick up the phone when I call. You know, always respond to my emails minutes after I email. And so I wanted to do that. I wanted to be that for, for anyone. In fact, I've, I've always welcomed. Usually when I go to work and I find this, you know, newcomers, young models, African models, because there's plenty now, which is amazing. I always offer and suggest that, you know, if you ever need to talk or you want to talk about your career, which moves do you have to take, feel free to reach out because I think it's important. It really is important for us to kind of pass on the messages because you help others to navigate and avoid perhaps will take them in a different route that, you know, wasn't necessary. But when you do have those type of uh, community where people can talk and, you know, dialogue and help each other, it's easier because if I go through my experience in a way that I can say, hey, don't do this, 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 you know, it will save you. You probably choose a different path that will give you a greater success that will be benefit of all, you know. And so that's how I always see the importance of being a mentor to others and because it's, it's exactly what happened to me, you know, throughout my career. Amazing, Amanda. Where can everyone find you? Well, uh, you can find on the me. next billboard or advert. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. Also, you know, uh, I think there's uh, some great works that will be around Europe very soon coming up. Uh, you know, just recently uh, Europe shooting something. But uh, you can find me, you know, on our Instagram, which is armando-cabral.com. Uh, pardon me, Armando underscore, no, no, this is our Instagram. I think, you know, obviously you'll see part of things that, are, you know, uh, what we've been up to in terms of our footwear and things and news. In fact, we have a lot of great news to share very recent soon. Launch, recent launch with Nordstrom. Yes, we had a recent launch in Nordstrom. And in fact, we have a lot of great projects that uh, we will be announcing very soon. So that's definitely a place to keep up with us. And uh, But you can also find us on our website, which is www.armando-cabral.com, where you can find all that stuff. Our site, by the way, will be live within a week because uh, during COVID, what we decided to do was basically to revamp the site experience to kind of give our, you know... uh, I think everybody... It, it was important. It was very Everybody. difficult to do because, you know, we, we were all thrust 10 years in, into the future. Exactly. And so we wanted to kind of really give our, uh, our shoppers and, 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 and customers a different experience. And so, you know, we we're revamping our website. It's going to be live again very soon. But, you know, you can always uh, subscribe to check out uh, the latest news and stuff uh, as of now on the website. And, uh, you know, in a way, it seems like I'm a very uh, inaccessible guy, but, you know, I usually uh, I'm around. Amazing. (laughs) Thank you so much for sharing and joining us in this week's episode. This is great. And I must say to you once again that uh, it's a great opportunity for me to share my stories. And I, you know, the questions that you gave me was amazing. And uh, it took me back, you know, uh, to really kind of, relive my uh, my experiences so 
I thank you for the opportunity and uh, hope that uh, you know this will serve as a lesson for others where they can probably pick up from my story and do greater things. Amazing. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Third Culture Africans. We are building a community of leaders and game changers and would love you to join in the conversation on thirdcultureafricans.com. Subscribe for news, for tips and more useful resources on today's topic and more episodes to ignite and inspire your entrepreneurial journey. Carry on the conversation on Facebook and Instagram at Third Culture Africans. Your ratings and reviews are important to us, so please leave one on your favorite streaming platform and help us amplify our voices. Until next time, you are valid, you are strong, and you are just getting started.